if someone says that they they like Harry guys, I, I strut. <laughs> Masculine tops, power bottoms, butch girls, femboys, bears, otters, unicorns. There is no shortage of labels that queer people use to describe different sexual identities and preferences. But how do we navigate that horny, thorny path between realizing we're queer and deciding which boxes to check when filling out our dating profiles? Fruit Bowl explores the unique ways we develop our sexual identities by sharing the sometimes messy, always fascinating, real-life sex histories of queer people. Our first introduction to sex. The embarrassing moments we'd like to forget. And the reliable bedroom moves that we've discovered along the way. Basically, all the stuff we wish we'd known when we first came out. Interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Thanks for listening. Let's begin. Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. Queer culture can often seem impenetrable, especially to those who are in the closet. From the outside, all the different queer social groups and sexual definitions and verbal shorthand seem to shift and change daily. For example, I still don't know exactly what it means to be a bear, and I'm pretty sure I am one, or at least that's what I'm told. And even if you come out, you're not automatically accepted by all queer people. Aditya learned this lesson the hard way. Raised in Hyderabad, India, Aditya didn't come out until his second year of college in New Delhi. Luckily, his family and friends accepted him, but an awkward experience he had at a bathhouse in Hong Kong served as a reminder that queer people can often be as racist and socially elitist as straight people. Over the years, Aditya has learned to follow his instincts and find his way as he navigates his journey from India to New York City. It hasn't been easy, but he eventually found his tribe. Um, my name is Aditya. I uh, am 34 and I graduated high school in 2003. So I'm a cisgendered male. Uh, I identify as gay and uh, uh, nationality is Indian. I would say uh, that I am vocal in the queer community. Um, not everyone likes to be called an activist. I do like to be called an activist and I make sure that I'm doing uh, everything I can uh, for having a voice and visibility. Um, I do have my tribes and I think they keep changing. Uh, it started with attraction to uh, hairy men or bears and otters and then um, I started slowly owning it, so I used to call myself an otter, and then I used the word bear adjacent because people found that funny. Um, and if that's a tribe, then sure. Um, doesn't stop me from disassociating from something if I need to be in a more general setting. I grew up in Hyderabad, which is uh, in South India, and then uh, my formative years, like college, was in New Delhi. Cities in uh, like Hyderabad and Delhi, they are uh, pretty much among the biggest cities in the country, and uh, they are progressive, liberal. Liberal there means something else altogether uh, than it is here. So uh, you can be religious and still uh, a much more open society. I, it's not restrictive at all. You can be uh, pretty open about who you are. Uh, I got very lucky in terms of having a family that has, for the last three generations, been not just liberal, but college educated in a way that when I came out, it wasn't new to them. So uh, that's really rare because you can be in the city and still come from a very traditional background, conservative background. My family was not, and very proudly so, we are not very orthodox about anything. We are, we are religious, but nothing is forced on anyone. Uh, nuclear family, uh, dad, mom, and my elder brother, who is three years older to me. The extended family was in different cities, so we were pretty much 
the four of us and other friends and their families. And my brother and I were uh, we are pretty close now. He's one of my closest friends, and we fought every day growing up. I don't know anyone else who is out in my family or in at least back in India among anyone we know in terms of friends and their families. I'm the only one who's out. Once I came out, I now I made friends with other out gay men in New Delhi, but it was a very small group. India back then, no one talked. You had the very clinical talk in school, uh, but no one really talked about sex otherwise. We knew a lot more than what the books were telling us <laughs> in, in a very misinformed kind of way. Just going through puberty with friends, uh, suddenly we, someone had stolen magazines from their dad's closet. Uh, very, very heterocentric. <laughs> Weirdly enough, I got caught with a Playboy and a Penthouse magazine in ninth grade. It was a miracle they didn't tell my, parent, my parents about it. I would have been in a lot of trouble. We had a computer lab, so there was one air-conditioned room in the school which had a row of computers, and someone had filled one of it with porn. And this is eighth grade, or seventh grade. Uh, a few of us had access, we knew which computer it was, and so we would steal in there. And we had a very cool computer teacher, and she knew what was there. And Weirdly enough, was kind of like, okay, you guys are being naughty, just leave, but did not, you know, take more severe action. We literally all suddenly had computers in our homes in those two years for the first time. Uh, there was porn available. It was through porn, at least my generation, I know for sure. It was, we were the first, um, we, we were the first people with the uh, home computers in, uh, like PCs at home, and uh, that meant access to the internet. Um, uh, that led us into masturbating for the first time. There was a connection card from the phone, like an actual wire. It, it was one of those telephone cards. And it had to be connected across from the living room into the study where the computer was, and you had to connect it to the modem to connect. So I had perfected a way of doing that while my parents were outside, out um, dialing in the modem, watching porn, and then un disconnecting coiling the wire back to the living room phone. I would start uh, searching for some uh, homosexual porn, <laughs> gay porn, and um, it was very surprising to me because um, I think a lot of the porn, like the magazines, etc., they were all still very uh, stereotypical. And so um, having a non-model-like person on the screen was very, very new to me. Now that I think of it, I'm sure that made me aware of what worked for me, which was a first, just because I still did not know. Yeah, I, I don't think I knew what being gay was or, you know, why this was turning me on, it was just turning me on. It's almost like one day suddenly I'm like, wait, my <laughs> everything I'm looking at is a, a type. Um, now when someone asks, what's your type? It's great to say I don't have a type, which is true, but um, there's a flip, there's another side to it. Because I'm sure if I give an answer of who it would be, I would change that answer once I was done <laughs> for the next time. <laughs> like being secretive about the porn I watched was all the way up to my third year of college before I came out. I had the public face of me not being out and then the private side of being gay. But yeah, there was one guy in my high school uh, who I was friends with earliest remembrance of a male crush. Well, he was smart. He had uh, a moustache <laughs> uh, and great hair. <laughs> Let's see, what was it? Was it, this was high school? Tom Selleck, because he resembled gay porn actor from the 70s with cop moustache. I, I grew up with friends, <laughs> watching Friends and, uh, television, on television with my mom. I think, uh, yeah, I think I first saw him on Friends. One, at least access to any other queer content came after I'd come out. Um, and after I'd formed some, uh, found some uh, role models, so to speak, or um, mentors, people who had come out earlier in India, which, took a, which was much later.
I did have sex in high school and uh, we didn't think about it as sex because it wasn't straight sex. A couple of friends and I would watch porn and jerk off with each other and one of them and I, we used to, we got quite regular about it. Well, we weren't just jerking off, we were, um, uh, we were blowing each other, at least the two of us were and it was veering towards maybe more than just oral sex but it never registered as gay sex in my mind up until much later. Uh, it was seen as just uh, exploring going through puberty in a way back then, uh, that's how we saw it. Uh, because we still all centered it around watching straight porn. Um, and in all fairness, those guys are straight now and have very regular straight lives uh, wherever they are. But this was in eighth grade and uh, it had ended by the time we were in the ninth or tenth grade. And then I did a very good job of justifying it. Once I uh, got to high school, once I got to 11th, I'd completely locked it up as um, just something everyone does. I managed to find all the ways to, to find queer sex in India back then. It was um, a hidden side of me. So I knew the Yahoo chat rooms to go to. I knew, I don't know if it was a chat room uh, that was city-based, but I knew how to find other queer Indians uh, online. I made sure I did not take any any real step towards ever meeting someone or actually engaging in anything that would be gay in any in any respect. It was chats. It was um, I think there were webcams, <laughs> uh, which was which were uh, very blurry. Uh, but it was chatting with people in India, chatting with people. Chatting with someone in uh, Portland, Maine, and I did not even know where Portland, Maine was back then, um, who was interested in, you know, talking to me and maybe um, seeing me on camera. And I made sure that I kept, I was not going beyond that. I was chatting about being gay, and, uh, but never taking it to sex, so to speak. Um, I'm very sure I asked, uh, I would see them the other person be naked on the camera and that'd be fine but I was absorbing what gay sex is quickly enough where I would see a category I would see something and then I would know that that's it for some reason um, and this might be a precursor to how I see fetishism now nothing seemed um, unnatural which is naive but if it was in porn it seemed like it was doable normal gay sex that went anything beyond oral sex was seen as um, just something that was it, it was shocking it was uh, it, it not shocking it was um, it just seemed like oh I'm that's never gonna be how far I go or that's never gonna be something I'm into I was flirting I was in a way a tease where I wanted to know things but I did not want to give away any part of me just yet uh, the only thing was that I was balancing it with a very uh, straight acting sexual side, so to speak. So I was still still being the very regular interested in porn guy who, uh, you know, uh, the cis straight guy who talks with his friends and about girls and about boobs. And this is, you know, in the, in the school bus when you're in 10th grade and stuff like that. So I made sure that I that part of me was very, very explicit because I was out, um, I was talkative, I was outgoing, I had a group of friends um, and I, I did everything to make sure that I, that I was part of a clip in high school, um, was one of the guys. My college was in New Delhi, literally the first month of college where I'm away from home for the first time. I'm out in the world, for, I'm living in a dorm for the first time. The first thing I did when I uh, got into college was um, I was terrified of being uh, seen as gay. I came out to someone I trusted and that did not go well. Well, it's a person that I was close to, someone that I knew and someone that I thought would be a lot more understanding to being gay, what me being gay was. I ended up kind of cutting off ties with this person for a while. 
the fact that the first person I came out to did not take it well made me, uh, for some reason, convince myself that I wasn't. Uh, I didn't have to be gay. And so um, they saw me coming out or at least me acknowledging it as, a, for some reason, a threat to their life in a way. You know, that's my speculation. There's no way of telling if that was it. But um, I decided to keep away. Um, what I immediately did is um, go into a, a shell in a way that I repressed. I completely blocked out any notion of being gay and was the first guy in my college class to have a girlfriend. And we were very publicly a couple. So we were like boyfriend and girlfriend. Her parents knew, my parents knew. When my mom sensed that we were having sex, she said, it's your responsibility uh, to make sure that you respect each other and you. And I wonder if she had said, don't get someone in trouble, but she must have said that at some point. But, um, but it meant that, and this is the liberal part of it, it meant that I was allowed to have a girlfriend and I was allowed to explore having sex, um, which is not the norm at least not the norm of the India that I knew back then. Weirdly enough, I managed to um, form a bond with now my ex-girlfriend uh, with someone pretty amazing. The sexual side as part aside, uh, being a, a boyfriend or girlfriend in my college did not mean necessarily having sex. And we enjoyed each other's company, so we were pretty much... It wasn't so much of an act, at least. Uh, on the outside, it was, um, we were having, we were a couple and we were having a good time for, we were together for two years. All that time kind of suppressing uh, this whole other side of me, uh, which weirdly enough made me uh, come off as just again to be part of the, the clique of the kids in college. That made me quite an asshole. Uh, I was a bully to someone online who anonymously, well, I knew this is someone who was in my college, uh, who was gay, who was not out. And um, I was the worst person to that person because that person did not know who he was talking to and I knew who I was talking to because I had formed my mechanisms of hiding what I do, of uh, aliases and uh, not using my name on a chat room because I'd done that for many years. Um, and I guess that person wasn't that careful about it and I was angry enough inside where I, w I was really not a good not a good person to that person. And it was a very elaborate cover. So I still had my chat rooms, I had my pawn, I had stories for when someone accidentally found something on my... Because now we had our own computers in our dorm rooms. Uh, my friends found some gay pawn once and I had a very believable... I don't even know what I said but they were convinced it wasn't mine. <laughs> I, blamed it on someone or blamed it on uh, said it might have been someone else or uh, you know we had it wasn't locked rooms I had a roommate and all of that I had a girlfriend um, and having that strong straight exterior <laughs> in terms of like oh there's no way he can be gay He's, he has a girlfriend and they are obviously very PDA um, uh, and you know stick together like glue and all of that that was my cover for for a couple of years So I came out at the end of my second year of college. I had a girlfriend for my first two years of college. So she was the first person I came out to. Um, and she was and is uh, one of my greatest um, allies, uh, even now. Um, and then I came out to my brother who was already in the US doing his master's. So he, uh, over that long distance call, offered to fly back to India if I needed him there when I was telling my parents over uh, fall break. but. I said I can manage. When I went home, I told my mom and dad, and my mom said, as long as you're happy. Like some of the things that they just thought what being gay was back then, and uh, and I'm saying back then, this is 2006. Um, but they slowly got more accepting of, uh, because I didn't just come out, I kind of went came out with not just being out, but being part of a group of people who were very into activism in Delhi. I changed my subject in college to queer theory, which did not exist in my college. So my mom, I remember, said, so you are coming out, out. Like, it's not just coming out, it's wearing it <laughs> on my sleeve. Um, so they had all those different degrees to get adjusted to. 
uh, which I think they did pretty well. <laughs> and that involved coming out and getting to date in Delhi. It also meant actually hooking up for the first time. There was no gay bar in Delhi. Uh, there was one bar which used to have a gay night on Thursday nights. Um, and how they would have a gay night is they would say that it's a private party and uh, they would have a, a note, a sign outside which said, uh, private party for, uh, and it would have a white person's name on it, like Peter or John. And <laughs> uh, it would be very hard to question who, like, you know, to uh, to say, well, we still want to go in because it meant that the bar was reserved. I would depend on these guys who uh, were out as well to invite me and I would they would pick me up and we would all go out to the bar and I learned from them on how to visibly signify being gay so there would be a guard saying sorry sir private party and then you would just to uh, perpetuate the stereotype uh, fam it up <laughs> you would go like oh honey like you know do the do the wrist um, the limp wrist and for some reason those signifiers were are so prevalent anyway uh, being that no one was visibly out in Delhi so then they would know that you know what's going on inside <laughs> um, another thing I should mention is the whole social life part of it in a way uh, for me um, all happened it was like one big um, all my repressed years coming back to me uh, where I came out, I started smoking, um, I had my first drink because my family doesn't drink and um, uh, nor did my girlfriend, none of us drank. So I started drinking um, after coming out. So all of that happened in my third year of college. So suddenly I was like, uh, yeah, I want to go out dancing and drinking. Uh, lots of firsts. <laughs> so I was a college kid in a dorm. I would uh, find someone on a... on. A hookup website. After I'd come out, there was a person I was on a second date with who I brought back to my dorm room. And I was very keenly aware of what I'd done uh, because it's, <laughs> uh, we have rather lax security. <laughs> so I could bring bring a man back to my room uh, in college. But um, it was sex in a way that we were both, we got naked and we played around, but we ended up jerking off together. It didn't seem like any different from when I was working off with my friends in school. So, so there was a first there and I slowly, because now suddenly I was putting to test <laughs> everything that I had been seeing for the last, for years and years before. So a bunch of us who were out in Delhi, so we had a meet, meet up at a coffee shop once a month uh, to just discuss being queer. And uh, some of us um, are now well-known activists in Delhi and they had been out for a while. They had access to a queer history in a way and I was very new to this I was a college kid someone I saw at one of that those I texted afterwards and met up for a date he became my first boyfriend uh, where we tried a lot more uh, we had oral sex pre uh, pretty soon we started blowing each other we were showering together and it's the first time I tried entering him and that worked <laughs> so that was fun it was it was good it was weird in a way because we were dating but uh, he was busy. I was in college. We would see each other maybe once every uh, two or three months. So he had a, a, a best friend who was also gay. Uh, he had his own place. He was already working. He had his own company. So he had means to travel. Um, and I depended on all of them to kind of uh, take me through my exploration of being gay. So being comfortable being naked around each other was a first because like I said, I was still in a dorm, so it's not like I had ever been with someone. There was a lot that I realized about uh, just male bodies, about the fact that he and his roommate, who was his friend, who was also gay, he, he, he would be naked in the apartment and I would, be sh I would be trying to pull the covers up when his roommate would walk in. Uh, but they were very close friends and they were... They had seen each other naked before. There were minor things like that. The idea of suddenly was different because I came out to my friends in college. A lot of them said we would never have guessed, which I was supposed to take as a compliment. Uh, they were like, oh, least of all you, because you were the kid who got caught with playboys in school, as you told us, and you had your girl, you, had, you were the first person to have a girlfriend. And um, I was suddenly free in many ways. I was suddenly not just the only out kid in my college, which I still might be um, in all these years, I haven't heard. Um, I haven't even asked, but there was no one else out in my whole college. So 
um, I was allowed to have this whole other side. I was allowed to have these parties with and film festivals. <laughs> I was allowed to suddenly have a whole life outside of the dorm, which I don't think a lot of us had back then. Everyone was in the college kid clique. Just coming from a very middle class conformist-ish society where everyone went through college, got a job, had kids. And suddenly the people I knew were the age of my parents and had never gotten married. They were the age of uh, my my elder brother or older cousins and um, were doing non-traditional things with their lives. I was still getting a degree. I was still on the course set by my upbringing. Uh, but I was getting to be in, I was getting to experience like this whole side of Delhi, which was, it was still very, very novel. It was still very, very cool for my friends when they would hear that I'm going to a Christmas party at a queer photographer's house. Um, and he's a, and you know, it was, I got to call these people familiars. Uh, I got to be someone in their uh, in their presence, uh, which was very, very liberating. Liber well, it was scary and liberating. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to, uh, all my, my social plans were not limited to my friends in college anymore. And it was not family. It was a whole other group, a group of people who identified as queer. So what they were looking at, what they were reading, um, I'd been searching for my whole life in a way. Things drastically changed as soon as I came out. I was pretty much a mediocre student in college. I was not. I remember having fact, uh, the young, you know, uh, teachers of mine, the ones who kind of were a lot more friendly, go like, you look like you're going through some shit and if you want to take some time. And then once I came out, it's, it was a weight lifted. And so suddenly I was interested in queer theory as a subject, which... Uh, we had no books for, um, and so um, I wrote to my brother asking for him to send me some books for my dissertation. Um, and I got very lucky with having one of my mentors, one of the professors in my college, uh, be a champion, where he said that he doesn't know anything about the subject, but it'll be something we both discover. So I was out to him, I was out to the other faculty. Now I was out to all my friends. The photographer, friend of mine who I knew had books because he had uh, lived in London and he had lived in New York and he had books that I was looking at for the first time. He showed me my first uh, butt magazine from the 90s and I was like, whoa. Um, and one of my ex-girlfriends, uh, close friends who was in a senior of ours uh, she was at Cornell uh, University and she said she had come it was so such a out of the blue thing where she was visiting India and she came to the college um, and we were sitting with her and it was her and my ex-girlfriend and me and uh, I told her what I'm looking at and I said I'm looking at queer theory and queer space as an architect and she said I have a professor I think he's gay um, I've seen a queer space book on a shelf. So let me get you in touch with him. Uh, so uh, she got me in touch with um, her professor. And uh, he coincidentally was coming to India for the first time um, in a month or two after I reached out to him. And he came to India. Uh, I met up with him. He'd asked me, why are you interested in the subject? And I said, because I'm gay. And, um, so it was his first time there and he wanted me to take him and show him the scene in Delhi. <laughs> and I took him to the Tuesday night, which by then I knew very well. Um, and funnily enough, within a week, we had gone on dinner and we had gone dancing and he had asked me out. Um, by the time he was back in the US and I was in Delhi, um, uh, we were dating. <laughs> uh, I had my bear. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had, um, I, I would, I'd suddenly been with the person that I would look at in 
uh, back in school, like the hairy older guy with the French beard. We call it a French beard. It's a goatee. Um, and by the time he came back to India again, we were we were boyfriends. Um, and I remember telling my friends they knew of me dating this American professor. He was never my professor, so. Um, <laughs> my friends and I, I still remember her for saying it and I don't I don't think I forgive her easily where I told her um, oh well, yeah he's my boyfriend he's come in she was like oh please Aditya she's not your boyfriend and I was like well we'll see um, and we were together for five years <laughs> after that uh, he's my ex now um, but uh, we were together for a long time uh, long distance uh, monogamous um me being in India and him being here in the U.S., uh, the first person I said I loved. I was getting to know some new things about sex through him um, because he was older and a lot more experienced. <laughs> it was me playing out my fantasy in a way. Bottoming, <laughs> uh, topping more often. Uh, but bottoming, um, I found out what rimming is when he did it to me the first time. And he is one of my best friends now. Uh, we are in touch. Uh, I look to him for a lot of advice. And he was 30 years older than me, is 30 years older than me. So uh, he, whatever he's learned has come through uh, from San Francisco in the 70s and from New York in the... 90s. Like, there's a lot that he suddenly was teaching me about. And I was, I was there for it. So that went a whole other direction. <laughs> As a professor, he had a summer off and he had enough holidays where he would come over and we would move in for that brief two months where he was in Delhi. We would live in the same apartment. And he talked about bringing me here. And I was very firm that when the first time I'm coming here, I'm coming on my own. Um, merit. Um, I had never gone outside the country. I had never left India before that. So the story changed pretty fast. It changed. Suddenly I was, I was the person who was um, the most into queer culture. Um, I remember my ex, uh, he was very impressed that I knew what short bus was. I had gone to the out film festivals in Delhi with my friends. I knew about the Christopher Street Peers, I'd studied it for my dissertation in my fourth year. I designed an LGBT center as my architectural thesis in my fifth year, um, which included the trans com the hijra community in India, which I got a lot of help from people who were involved with the communities in Delhi. So suddenly I knew what we see as gay history, queer history um, of the last century. I was researching queer Indian histories. Um, so I was not just out like my mom said. It was, so she was like, well, they'll be going after you with a torch. And I said, yeah, that'll happen. Uh, it was mom's humorous way, but she, she definitely believed that I would get into trouble for my dissertation, which was not allowed to be called queer space. It had to be called gender, sexual orientation and architecture. Um, but I was researching cruising parks and bathhouses. <laughs> so, uh, that's what I mean by a whole trajectory. Um, yeah, and that got me into grad school <laughs> in a way. I, at least I think so. One of the reasons I'm I'm that close to my family is that they took their time to get around it. But uh, my brother knew I was dating, and um, although he freaked out at the age difference earlier, he was okay with it after. Um, my dad knew. He never explicitly said anything, but he understood when I told him um, about us living together. Um, and my mom freaked out and then uh, she was okay with it too. Um, she's gone all out now that my boyfriend is my age <laughs> and welcomed him. And But like I said, I think they're pretty cool for a family that's from India. Um, and with my coming out story, I have been very lucky. My most embarrassing story, I don't even know how to describe it. So I was studying about bathhouses and I'd never been to one. Uh, and I documented them from Greek times um, and cruising parks in Delhi. And uh, through my ex, I had grinder before anyone knew what it was in India. It was 
I the the first iPhone. <laughs> Uh, so it wasn't even there in India. He had brought one and I unlocked it because he had brought a new version himself. And I had Grinder, and there were like four people on Grinder in Delhi at that time among 32 million people. <laughs> um, but I knew about how to find someone. I had read about cruising. I knew the last bathroom in the uh, interstate bus terminal in uh, New Delhi is where uh, guys look for other guys. Very 70s cruising, Al Pacino-ish, uh, which I romanticized, uh, and the Chelsea Piers and everything. So when my family went, we went on our first international vacation to Hong Kong, 2010, I had graduated uh, and I was working in Delhi. And I told my ex that uh, I promised not to do anything. Uh, but I do want to see what a bathhouse is. And um, he said, of course, honey. <laughs> uh, given that he, you know, used to tell me all the stories of when he went, when he would go to bathhouses in San Francisco. Um, so we went to Hong Kong. It was a family thing. So we all had to, we were going everywhere together. I was trying to get one evening off. My dad suddenly was tired after walking all day once. And we went home and we went back to the hotel and I told him I want to step out and go check, check out the flea market. Um, my dad had a way of saying and very knowing, like, sure, make sure you come back by 10 o'clock. Um, but this was me for my first time in a foreign country. Uh, in the second day there, um, trying to find a door under an elevated walkway, which is supposed to be one of the three bathhouses in that city. I found the door. It's a door, a nondescript door. I go in and uh, there's a counter and like a locked door. Uh, and this guy looks at me and <laughs> I'm green. I'm like this, I've never done something like this. I'm, I ask for an entry and he gives me this card, which is pretty cool. It's like a black shiny credit card with the statue of David inscribed on it. And uh, he lets me in. It's a bathhouse in the way that there's lockers there's a, a row of you know vestibules with curtains uh there's a room with a massage table and pawn playing on the screen um it's windy so um and i was very scared and i uh undressed put on my towel and there were a few people uh there were a lot of asian men there were a few there were some european guys um and it was my first time not knowing what I'm doing because first uh, first time even in a towel among uh, strangers. I thought I felt unwelcome. I definitely felt people st uh, staring at me. I was awkward, I knew that, and I was trying to make conversation but was largely being ignored. Um, and there were these two guys who were, you know, chiseled uh, guys with uh, beards and they they looked like they were from uh, either the, the US or Europe and uh, there were these two white guys and they were talking to uh, these two Asian guys um, and I was keenly aware of just compared to being in India I was keenly aware of suddenly uh, my race and it was interesting because I went up to them and this is subjective but it there was the idea of like the fact that I had the audacity to talk them so they were waiting for me to you know they were almost wondering if I would say something um, but it felt very unfriendly and uh, I said thickly accented where are you guys from and one of them just smirked and laughed and the other person said uh, Spain and I very earnestly said um, where in Spain and he misheard it but he thought I asked where is Spain they laughed out loud he he repeated where is Spain and the two of, and the two of them and the two Asian guys were with they were laughing their heads off and I slunk away um, the four of them went into one of those cubicles and I felt for the first time like something had changed like suddenly I was keenly aware of my brownness or my, my being an amateur or something of that kind. Uh, I just had the laughter seared in my brain and I still have it in my seared. Um, uh, it's, it's an experience I'll remember because it started off um, a whole other side of my life.
I was suddenly aware of it not being enough that I was gay and out. That and a series of other things have slowly formed, shaped my physical appearance today. It shaped how I act and how I dress in a way that suddenly I was embarrassed at what I was wearing. I was embarrassed at how I looked. I was embarrassed with what my hair was like. Uh, I didn't have a beard. I didn't. Uh, I'd never been to a gym. Let me put it this way. Being there for the first time was being in the real gay world, in my opinion, where um, everyone comes in with their baggage, but also you are suddenly with people from other countries or people who have a, an image of what gay life is. And what I experienced in that bathhouse has been reinforced again and again in many ways. Um, I've been to bars. Uh, I've had friends say, that person will look at you. It doesn't matter uh, if you're interesting to talk to, if that person's looking to hook up with you. So uh, those genes will have to go. But I've been that person. I've been, I've been the brown person in a way turning it around since then because I have, in success, I've been uh, in a bathhouse in uh, Pittsburgh. I've been in one in Berlin. And I've always tried to see if it has changed since the Hong Kong one, my presence in that place. And I've relished it in a way. Like I, 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 I fuck guys with a vengeance in Berlin because I was going to prove that I'm desirable. And uh, when Berlin had happened by then, we had already opened our relationship and uh, he wanted me to see what it's like. And I'd gone to laboratory, I'd like it was n naked night. So I had to put all my clothes in a bag. Uh, it looked like a lot of those guys had never seen an Indian guy at least come for a naked orgy night in laboratory. And, and I made use of that. I capitalized on it. Um, and I've been very, very vocal about it. I'm, I've been to Bear Week three years in a row in a province town. I am mostly one of the only brown guys in, on that dock, on that, in, that, <laughs> in the dock or on that deck. Um, at the board slip and I I've learned to thrive on it so that's what's come out of that first time in Hong Kong a decade ago this is a self-perception thing but there's the black and white of it where uh, if I were to shave now I would be hooking up with fewer guys than I like I'm going to the Eagle if I'm sha clean shaven it's going to be a very different night for me compared to a, man a trimmed beard which you know I love which I have <laughs> But I'm, I'm aware of all those signifiers now. I'm aware of what my haircut is like in my passport photo uh, from 10 years ago. Um, and I very sadly am laughing at the naivety of that person. Like, what was I thinking? Going to a bathhouse and expecting, to be, uh, expecting it to be a great experience. I don't know, it's something changed that night. Like there was a certain innocence that I think uh, was gone. Suddenly it was real being gay and brown. Um, it's an advantage to be different anyway, but uh, I'm not saying that I'm more, people are more attracted to me because I'm brown. I'm saying that I have become more image conscious in Berlin. Uh, funnily enough, because it was something I was used to in Delhi, where you would get let into a venue based on how you looked. Uh, and Berlin has a notorious club for it, and um, I couldn't get in. Uh, I I went with a friend who was from New York, and we were both gay, and we were in my grad, we were in grad school together. We waited in line. We got to the door, and we were turned away. And I look back at who I was then, and I remember two years ago we were at a circuit party in Brooklyn. The DJ is from the club in Berlin. Uh, I'm standing behind the DJ booth with my friend who runs the party. I'm wearing my harness. I'm very obviously one of the crowd in terms of like having, you know, uh, having the tattoo and having the harness. And it's 5 a.m. and the DJ has finished his set and he's saying thank you to everyone. And I start talking to him and he's like, you must come. And I was like, <laughs> I know it's different now, but I've taken years to learn what to be. Uh, to learn what to wear at Bear Week, to learn what to wear on Far Island, which wouldn't work in Bear Week, and what in Bear Week wouldn't work in Far Island. And it's so superficial in a way, but it gets me uh, to have sex. <laughs>
<laughs> I just realized how that came off. Uh, it's it's a thing. It's it's um, it's a learned experience. Uh, the bevy outfit is um, usually uh, make sure the beard is there. You're showing your chest, uh, but I add something like a necklace because being Indian, they think I can wear one. Um, I wear a dhoti. <laughs> um, I have pictures of my very can. It is. It's. Uh, I wear a, like. It's cotton more. Uh, me. That's what my Instagram is. It's like my ethnic signifiers, which in India no one would be wearing. No cis male would be wearing anywhere. Um, but I get to kind of queer it here, and I take and I and I love doing that. Best move yeah. in bed, um, sexual. Well, there's a sexual and a non-sexual. The non-sexual thing I do, which uh, is I nuzzle. Uh, I do that when I meet someone, like within our second date with my boyfriend. Um, I my face is buried in there, uh, right here, uh, in their neck. So I I'm a nuzzler, and I like when someone does that to me as well. I think it works. Um, sexually, I, I like um, surprising the other person. Uh, if they have a perception of me being a top or a bottom or a versatile, I, I like um, going with it in a way. Like, uh, I've had someone say, oh, I knew you. Uh, it was the third date and he was like, we figured out that he's the bottom and I'm the top. And he said he knew that from the day he met me. And I was like, okay. Um, I've taken home someone, like I've hooked up with someone who did not expect to be bottoming that night or did not expect to be topping that night. And um, I'm saying I surprised them just because they say they got surprised. So I don't know what they were seeing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's exciting. My gay friends love, they love hearing my stories of what seems to be outrageous uh, situations of where I end up having sex. And uh, I love that I get to do all of that. Um, just in terms of the fact that I dated the first professor I had a crush on, um, the fact that I make I made out with a doctor in his office and he took me to a leather party, all of that. Yeah, but then um, I get to be, I'm honest about all of that to my boyfriend and he is like, well, more power to you. I'm like, yeah. There was a whole shock to understanding what open relationships are and that happened much later. It happened when I came here and saw my ex's friends who were open couples. Um, and I went from completely uh, being completely like stuck up person about it to wanting it, to trying it out. And my boyfriend and I have been together for a year and a half now. Um, and that was something I was very honest about from the very beginning. I, was, um, I said I won't hide anything from him, but I like being open and I, I don't like when someone mentions open relationships as a way out or when people are bored or uh, to spice things up. That just for me uh, reduces it and it's it doesn't. I don't see it that way at all. Or they say that, oh, they opened it, it's too early to, you know, I don't like the, the fact that it's a refuge or it's a, a release is is not what I believe. I'm in a place, I'm in a city where it's really easy to meet someone, it's really easy to go somewhere. Um, I'm still very open to uh, what the situation is. So um, being part of like a new home party or being part of a, uh, I have friends who do like a nudist bar night. Um, I've had a few years of very easily knowing what I want. So hooking up now means, uh, in a way, is it's still fun, but it's uh, I'm a little more used to it. I own being the slut in many ways, and my friends know that. And so any new avenues that I find, things that are seen as wild, like orgies or threesomes, they are all, uh, everything's okay. Nothing's surprising in a good way. So I'm not uh, unsure about anything anymore. I'm more sure.
Yeah, it's a it's very different from where I started. My ex used to say that I am most vigorously against something the day before I actually do it, and I like that because it's um, so. I hopefully I'm quick on the uptake. <laughs> There isn't a race or a color or an identity specific to anything sexual. Um, I still hear a lot about identity, uh, races that are more passionate or races that are less shy or races that go to the bathhouses. Uh, uh, I think that's false. There's no reason for me to be less, more shy or more conservative just because I'm from India. Don't say no to something the first time. You can say it the second time, but uh, be open to every experience. Own where you're from, uh, rather than assimilate into any kind of group or thinking, because I think that was the only way to exist when I first came out, was to ascribe to what everyone, what your peers were believed in, and like, that's changed a lot since then. In the queer community, My interview with Aditya took place in October of 2019 in New York City. Thanks to my friend Shavit for introducing us. Find out more about our interview process at fruitbowlpodcast.com. Up next, I have a conversation with the creator of a new gay hookup app inspired by the Hanky Code. Right after this message from our podcast partner, Gayest Episode Ever. Are you gay? Do you like TV? Did you grow up relating to the world around you through episodes of Who's the Boss and The Facts of Life? Do you have strongly held, often argued opinions about Vicky the Robot from Small Wonder? If you said yes to some of these questions, you may like our podcast, Gayest Episode Ever, where I, Drew Mackey, journalist, and I, Glenn Lakin, screenwriter and malcontent, look at the very special episodes that also happen to be the very queer episodes. The times when classic sitcoms decided that the special lesson being learned this week happened to be about something gay. When maybe that was the only time you'd hear anyone in your household even say the word gay. Sometimes these old episodes hold up very well, and they handle gay plot lines better than some shows today. And sometimes they don't, to the point that maybe it would have been better if they just left the subject matter alone. We cover all your favorite shows. Seinfeld. The Simpsons. Frasier. That thing we call the John Goodman Show. All in the Family. Cheers. Golden Girls, of course. Designing Women. Dinosaurs, which totally did a gay episode. And Friends, which you're no longer allowed to claim as your favorite show and which is just living single with white people. We also talk about living single. To listen, head to gayestepisodeever.com or just search for the show on your podcast app of choice. That's Gayest Episode Ever, where we aren't actually trying to determine which episode is the gayest ever. But we do talk about gay TV. You can't say we don't talk about gay TV. Today I have as my guest Tom Malberg. Is that, am I pronouncing that right? It's Malm Borg, Malm like Palm, and Borg like Star Trek. Okay. Tom's created a new hookup app for, for queer people called Hankies, and he's here to just describe it and uh, talk a little bit about it with us today. Welcome, Tom. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today in my walk-in closet <laughs> slash sound studio. First, uh, just tell me what inspired you to create Hankies. So, um... What inspired me to create Hankies was really using the current apps, um, yeah, and not really getting what I wanted. Uh, there was a specific incident. Um, I was chatting to a guy who was actually in the building across the street from me. Like we had figured out, like, we were like whatever feet away from each other. And we were talking, and like I had spent the whole night chatting with him, certain we were going to hook up. Um, and I had sort of like spurned other people because I didn't want to waste their time. You know, I was like, I'm, I'm hooking up with this dude. And then he didn't, he was like, oh, well, I'm not really feeling it tonight. Like, how about like three weeks from now on like Tuesday? And he had like, like tried to like schedule something out. I'm like, well, I don't, what? <laughs> so basically you had the experience that every single person has yeah. on the dating apps. <laughs> you know, or like you get a message from somebody from Australia, which is nice if you're going to go there someday. But like, yeah. we're, you know, 
realistically, like we're we're not gonna meet. Um, <laughs> you know, or it's a bot. You know, or they're trying right. to scam photos out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was really frustrated, and I was like, I really want an app that is for people who are looking for now. And that was actually the original title of it was called Looking for Now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized um, that you know, gay men had already kind of solved a lot of these problems with the hanky code, you know, in the 70s and 80s. And I was like, but, yes, you know, and the hanky code kind of lends itself to um, UI design very well because it's all color schemed. It's cross language. Like a yellow hanky means a yellow hanky no matter where you are. These are actual handkerchiefs. Right. Actual handkerchiefs. That, that were colored and, and, popular in the 70s mm-hmm. <laughs> as just an accessory but gay men use them as a means of um, communicating their their sexual preferences um, and different colors have different meanings absolutely yeah. and, and where you place them matters mm. okay um, like what are two other examples of colors that have meaning um so like red uh, would be fisting mm-hmm. um, and then you know each of those sometimes have subcolors. so like uh, a deeper red is double fisting. Oh, wow. What would be some examples that are a little bit more vanilla? Um, so just straight up blue is anal. Light blue would be oral. Let's say, like, I'm mostly I'm, I'm pretty a, a pretty vanilla guy. But every, mm-hmm. t- every now and then I want to try a kink. Right. And so with hankies, you can create a new cruise and just be a new person every time you log in uh. if you want. Um, or you can continue to use the same cruise. Yeah. Or, in hankies, I call cruises... Uh, or profiles cruises. Okay. So okay. Yeah. So you can establish different profiles or cruises for different preferences. Yep. If you could just walk me through what a typical user experience would be like. Um, so I, I get onto Hankies. I open it up. I hit the start a cruise button. Um, it'll bring up this menu that asks me options like how how long do I want to cruise for? Like one to two hours. The radius like. You know, so you can do distance and then it'll also ask you like your handle. So you can be like, call me daddy or call me boy or like what you don't have to create like an, a profile name that you have to do stuck with forever. So then you just pick your photo, what photo you want to use that time. Um, and then the next screen is you select the handkerchiefs. And so you can select by you can either build your own with color and add it to the, the custom code or you can pick from the user generated uh, hanky code that's already in existence. Um, and you just select what you are and what you're looking for, and then you hit done, and it spits out people who are near you who are also looking for the same thing. So let's say I select that night, I really wanted to get fucked. So I would have selected bottom, and it would have only showed me tops who were looking within that radius at that time right. for tonight. It just it cuts out all the, the fluff, yes. you know? And just gets down to like what what you want. It's mm-hmm. it's for when you're serious, right? Which is really what cruising was first intended for. <laughs> right. When you when you go and you cruise at a park, yeah, you, you don't sit there and you don't say like, yeah, but what do you do for a living? You know, be like, oh, you don't make enough money for me to have sex with you, or right. like, oh, you're not, you know, oh, you're you're five eight instead of five nine. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> you, you know, it, it's about the moment. Yes, and it's about the experience. And I think Hanky's. My goal with Hankies is to try to recapture sort of the cruise culture that I feel like has been lost a little bit, mm-hmm. but also make it a lot more safer. I like how you've adapted your technology to something that is about the reality of of the hookup as it exists today, you yeah. know, and sort of connecting that back to our shared history as, as queer people. And back in the day, this was all we had in order to know who each other were and what our preferences were. So that's such a cool idea. You mentioned that you're creating this with some help from your dad. Yeah. I'm fascinated by this. Surprisingly. Um, So brief history on my dad. Uh, He is a um, very traditionalist, uh, classy sort of guy. Where is he from? uh, He's from Illinois. Um, He's got... (laughs) Uh, that Midwestern sensibility. He's just, he's a classic Midwestern guy. Yeah. Um, my brother and I always grew up watching horror movies and he'd come in and there'd be some gross scene on it. He'd be like, oh, <laughs> shield his eyes. Or, you know, if, if uh, like there was ever like a pseudo sexual scene, he'd like fast forward it or change yeah. the channel. It's not that he's anti-sex. He just, it just grosses him out. That's yeah. just not his thing. But then I started working on this app and he was really concerned because I had left Amazon to do it. Um, which was a job he was really proud of me for. Um, 
and he didn't really he didn't really get it at first. And then um, I showed him some of my code. He was a SQL uh, programmer. Um, did a lot of did a lot of like database work and architecture, and so he knows what he's talking about. Oh yeah, he knows absolutely <laughs> what he's talking about. Um, and so I showed him a lot of the code, and he immediately started like, being like oh. Uh, you can do it this way. Like, let's, and he started looking at my queries and, and looking at my code. And it was kind of a nice little bonding experience. He started looking at some of the data and he'd be like, uh, so what's, um, what's water sports? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's looking at all these very sexual things, but through the lens of, you know, code and, and, and data. Yes. Um, and so he's like, oh, and I'm like, well, dad, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what a, a man wants to pee on another man. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of his attitude about it is he now is he he's excited about uh, the code and the, the technical aspects of it. And um, I think he's really supportive of the, the sexual aspects of it, too. And he's uh, learned a lot about queer culture. He I has. And I think I think it has really. uh bonded us in a good way because it's something we both love and understand and he he can kind of get uh the gay world through me through this tech aspect um that's so awesome i love that he's helping you and that it's this thing that you're doing together um is there something you've learned about kink and gay culture queer culture oh my god (laughs) like what's something you've learned working on this yeah, I didn't realize that like uh, like white being jerk off. I didn't realize that that was a like a kink. Like just oh. just getting a hand job is like a kink. And I, I looked at that um, and I was like, oh, all those people, those poor people from Craigslist, like where you know they used to post like, oh, I don't want sex. I just want like to jerk off with another man. Yeah, like, well, those are all white hanky people mm. that don't have anywhere to go now. Um, mm. So hopefully I can bring them into hankies and oh because maybe they wouldn't use an app knowing that mm-hmm. people's expectations would be to have full on like absolutely yeah okay I think that's awesome yeah. I mean I think that as queer people when we think of kink it is we often go to the extremes when we think about it but it can take so many different forms and we need lots of different kinds of interactions and if it's just jerking each other off and that that has purpose and and meaning to a lot of people just that alone absolutely so at what stage of the development are you in right now what where do you you see launching because you're you're still in this sort of testing phase right yeah yeah i'm still still really deep into development and testing um is that a long process i don't know anything about yeah i've I've been working on it for a little over a year wow um but that's because you know i'm i'm sort of solo coding like yeah yeah, i'm I'm getting advice from my dad but i'm i'm writing all the code you know code myself i've been the alpha phase of testing which means that we're gonna get a group of about 50 or 60 people uh to test the app again um and then about two weeks after that, we'll we'll try another one, and we'll just keep going until we get it uh, released. So people are are testing it now. Mm-hmm. When do you see launching it? Is that is it too soon to know? My goal would be uh, June this year. What do you hope to accomplish most with this app? Really, I kind of I want to help improve um, the health around sex, and I think this app is a good way to do it too. Um, and, and health, by that I mean I don't want people to feel ashamed uh, and self-degradating about the things that they enjoy or they want to enjoy. Right now we, we're in such a deep information era where we have almost too much information. <laughs> Agreed. So I love that you're offering to, in a way, kind of pare down all of the extraneous stuff that we may not really find very useful. Mm-hmm. And it's going back to basics. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing with us about Absolutely. your your development of hankies, and I'm really excited to use it when it finally comes out. I'll make an announcement, too, on, on my podcast when it is finally available, so listeners can expect me to give a shout-out for that. Can you stick around and help us with our thank yous? Absolutely. Awesome. So at this time, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank some of our listeners and patrons who've helped us out. Thank you to B.M. Etridge, who wrote us a review on Apple. Tom, would you like to read that? Sure. The review says, Stumbled upon this podcast, but I'm sure glad I did. Flows like a conversation with a good friend, yet has the ability to provide insight to taboo aspects of queer culture to all interested. Thank you, B.M. Etridge, for those kind words. 
And yeah, listeners, if you'd like to rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that really helps us out. I love hearing from listeners about the show because I love also hearing feedback and suggestions. Like the other day, I had a listener mention that the music breaks are mixed a little too loud compared to the dialogue in my show. So I've been really trying hard to look out for that and and uh, even out the levels a little bit more. So, you know, I'm still learning how to do it this the best way and the best practices for this. So it really helps me to hear feedback from listeners. If you do have any questions or comments or critiques of Fruit Bowl, you can always uh, give me a shout out on Twitter, where our handle is at Fruit Bowl Pod. And, and Tom, do you have a Twitter? Uh, I do. Um, it is at Hankies96. All right. And now I just want to give a shout out to some of our patrons on Patreon. Uh, thanks to Justin, who is helping support us on Patreon. Justin is a good friend and one of our very first patrons, um, who's been an amazing supporter of the show. And he's also just a great friend and a cheerleader of mine and a collaborator uh, with me on other projects. So I'd just like to personally say thank you to Justin. And some listeners of season one may have realized by now that I've stopped including co-hosting segments in the episodes. Basically, the reason for that is that they were just running too long, sometimes over 90 minutes long, and I was running out of uh, steam trying to cut the the co-hosting sessions as well as the, the featured interviews. So what I've decided to do now is move those conversation segments, the co-hosting segments, um, exclusively to the Patreon platform. So all of those sessions that I record when I'm discussing the core interviews um, with friends and guests are going to be available exclusively to patrons on Patreon. So please consider becoming a patron and helping us document these personal stories. I'd like to just give a shout out to some other podcasts who've helped us spread the word about Fruit Bowl. Thanks to Matt Baum and his Sewers of Paris podcast. Also, thanks to Dennis Hinsley and his podcast, Dennis Anyone. Uh, Drew Mackey and Glenn Lakin and their podcast, Gayest Episode Ever. And Dave White and Alonzo Duraldi and their TV and film podcast, Empire Linoleum Knife. Fruit Bowl is a production of Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved, bitches. Thanks for listening.